hope that I hope that y'all are ready to get to work tonight because we got some business to take care of up in here tonight. It has been it's been an amazing couple of days, and I hope that you felt like the Lord has been speaking to you and moving in in your life. But tonight, tonight there's something in the air, and and I hope and praying that that your heart is is ready to receive what the Lord has for you as we as we wrap up our time together in this room talking about this doctrine called the Trinity. And in every session we've talked about the Trinity, we've opened it up with this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes, and I figure we've done it, you know, Friday night and Saturday morning. Why not, you know, continue on tonight? And the quote is by A.W. Tozer, and the quote is this, what comes into your mind, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we said this is important. Why? Because every, every single one of us in this room, whether you know it or not, you have a go-to image when it comes to God. What you think about. Our souls, because we have been created in the image of God, we have a tendency to drift toward that mental image. And it's so important for you and I to have a correct view, a biblically grounded view of God. Because a right view of God determines everything about us. Our knowledge of God, our knowledge of God is the core shaping influence in our life. And so last night we looked at one of the facets of God. It was the most astounding and unique revelations when it comes to God. And it's this, that our God, our God relates to us like a father. That our God is a father. That is who he is. And we said, why? why? Why does he relate to us like a father? Well, it's simple. Because for all of eternity, students, for all of eternity, our God has been a father. That there's never been a time, there's never been a time in the whole history, in eternity past, when God has not been a father. Why? Because there's never been a time when there's not been a son of God. Therefore, there's never been a time when God's not been a father figure. He's a father. And, 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 and what we talked about and unpacked is, is not only is he a heavenly father, but that our God is a, watch this, watch this, he's a loving father. That he's a good father, that, that he's a wise father, that he is an all-powerful father. And, and what we talked about is that, you know, a lot of times when we hear that word father, it can bring up some mixed emotions. Because there's a lot of you in this room that where you, you've had great dads and some of you, you've had not so great dads. And what we have a tendency to do, and we talked about this, is to view, watch this, to view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father. And we, put the, and we put the attributes of our earthly father, good, bad, whatever, onto our heavenly father. And, and so it looks like this. It looks like this, that, you know, well, hey, my, my earthly father, my earthly father is abusive and distant. And so I'm going to look through that lens at my heavenly father. And if my earthly father is abusive and distant, then my heavenly father is going to be abusive and distant. And if that's the case, I don't want anything to do with that. 
or, 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 or if my, my earthly father, he's kind of checked out, he doesn't really care about me, then my heavenly father must not really care about me. Or, or if my earthly father, you know, uh, thinks I'm insignificant, then my heavenly father is going to think the same way about my, as my earthly father. And we view, we view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father, and we put those things onto our heavenly father. And what we said is what we got to do is we've got to reverse that. What Jesus wants us to do is to flip that script and not view, come on somebody, not view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father, but to evaluate our earthly father through the lens of our heavenly father. And when we do that, we see that where our earthly father fell short, our heavenly father can be everything we ever wanted our earthly father to be and so much more. That... That is your heavenly father. Do not, do not limit the fatherhood of God to your knowledge of your earthly father. Don't do that because your heavenly father, he has none of the weaknesses of your earthly father. He has none of the hangups of your earthly father. Your heavenly father has none of the sins of your earthly father. He has none of the weaknesses of your earthly father. He is everything you've wanted and needed your earthly father to be and so much more. So do you see, do you see, going back to that quote from Tozer, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you see, if you have a proper view of your heavenly father, who is good, who is perfect, who loves you, who's all powerful, all wise, you, you students tonight, you can trust him with your life. Why? Because he is perfect in every way. And he absolutely loves you. And so we looked last night about our heavenly father. That, that, that we, don't, we don't evaluate, we don't evaluate our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father. And we realize that our Heavenly Father always gives us what is good and best and perfect from a fountain of infinite wisdom and total goodness. That is your Heavenly Father. Then this morning, this morning we looked at God, the Holy Spirit. And we said that the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not a feeling. It's not an it. But the Holy Spirit, at its core, the Holy Spirit is a person, a person who is with you and in you. And that is true that when Jesus said, hey, Jesus, hey, 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 it's good, it's good, it's to your advantage that I leave you. Because if I leave you, guess what? I'm sending you my Holy Spirit to walk alongside you and not just to be alongside you, but to live in you. It is God in us. And we said that the Holy Spirit, what does he do? What are some of his roles in our lives? Our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he will comfort us. But I know that if there's several of you in this room, you are walking through a dark time. And it's the person of the Holy Spirit that will come to you and comfort you and call scriptures to mind to help you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Holy Spirit will also counsel you. 
will guide you, will speak to you, will convict you, will draw you to the Father. The Holy Spirit will reveal your need for a Savior and he will draw you to him and he will remind you that you are a daughter and a son of the Most High King if you are a Christian. Romans 5.5 5 says that the Holy Spirit will flood the love of God in our hearts and remind us that we are children of his. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life that brings the presence and power of God alive in us. That is why, students, what you think about God is so important that we want you to have a biblically grounded view of God, that your God is a good and loving heavenly Father, that he wants you to be his child. You have been created in his image, but you have been created for a relationship with him, created by him and for him. And I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is a person living in you that you talk with, that he speaks, he guides, and he can bring you the comfort that you are looking for in this world. And tonight, tonight, if it's all right with you, I want to talk about Jesus tonight. Anybody have any objections to that? No, sir. No, sir. Tonight, tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus and that right here, God the Father God the Holy Spirit and Jesus right here again is our triune God that we serve. And we've talked about this over the last couple of, couple of days that, that the Trinity means this, that there is one God who has existed eternally in three distinct persons. You've got God the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Spirit, one God Three persons, and each person is fully God. That's the mystery of what we call the Trinity. And we don't believe the Trinity because we can explain it or we understand it. We believe the Trinity because that's what has been revealed to us in Scripture. And tonight, tonight, more than anything else, through the help of the Holy Spirit, I want you to see the supremacy of of Jesus and what that means for you. And then at the end of the message, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond. And at the end of, of my message, when we go into this time, we're going we're to give you a chance to respond to the gospel. And if there's some of you in this room tonight, you're going to respond, and your response is going to be simply to worship. And, and that's amazing because worship uh, uh, is an expression of what we value most. And you're going to worship the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And you're going to lift him up and you're going to worship him with everything you got. And that's amazing. That's awesome. So some of you are going to respond and, and you're just going to simply say, Jesus, you are beautiful. You are more beautiful than anything this world has to offer. And tonight, I just want to bow before you, and I want to worship King Jesus. That's going to be your response. Uh, 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 others of you in this room, here's the deal. Others of you in this room, listen, I'll just be honest. We said that the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to convict of sin. To say, say, hey, hey, you're doing something. 
and you're grieving me. Some of you in the room tonight, the Holy Spirit, because this is what he does, he's already put his finger on an area in your life that you are grieving him. And he's going to ask you to do so. He's going to ask you to repent of that sin and come back to him. Come back to Jesus. And so at the end of the night, we're going to give the invitation. For some of you, you're going to need to confess that sin. You're going to have to say, you know, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. Forgive me for grieving you. I want to come back into a relationship with you. And that's going to be your response. Others of you, listen to me really good. Others of you in the room, your response is going to be to give your life to Jesus tonight. The Holy Spirit is here and the Holy Spirit is convicting, convicting you of your need for a Savior. It's convicting you of your need to be saved by Jesus. And so we're going to give the invitation and we're going to say, hey, 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 if you need to be saved, if you're not in the family of God. Remember last night I said there's only two types of people. There's people in here who are children of God and people who are not children of God. And the choice is yours, which one you want to be. You just receive, you just receive this salvation. You receive this free gift. And so we're going to give you an opportunity tonight, tonight, tonight. To change your eternity forever. And the only way, the only way that is made available to you is by what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You see, Jesus went to the cross in your place and he died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you could have a relationship with God and be changed forever. You see, here's the gospel right here, the gospel in a nutshell, I put it up here for you so you can see it. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ, God in human form, he died on the grave, thereby defeating death, sin. And then what did he do? He rose from the grave, thereby defeating death. Those who confess belief in the gospel are given salvation and new life in Christ. And listen, that's going to be available for you tonight. And so before we get to the end, let me do some work in the Bible right here. I want to turn your attention to Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see the supremacy of Jesus. We're going to lift him up tonight. Colossians chapter 1, picking up in verse 15 and following. I got two main points for you tonight. This is it. This is going to be good. Are y'all with me out here tonight? Somebody. All right, here we go. Buckle up, baby. It's about to get good up in here, okay? Colossians chapter 1, 15. He, talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Listen, listen to what this says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, by who? By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things. Somebody say all things. All things, all things were created through him 
and, and, don't miss this, and for him. You were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things. Somebody say, all things. All things things hold together. Come on now, this is getting good. And he, verse 18, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from all the dead, that in everything he, who Jesus might be preeminent. Do you see how big deal Jesus is? He's a big deal. For in him, Jesus, just in case you forgot, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Meaning this, that Jesus was tanked up on God. Oh, I feel like doing some push-ups. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Somebody say all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How do I make peace? No, no, no. The only way that you can have peace with God is through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Somebody give it up for the word of God. I feel feel like preaching this message tonight. I I hope you're ready. Jesus right here. Let me lay some groundwork. This baby, this baby born in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas, come on, did not just show up the first time in Bethlehem. Our Jesus has existed forever, forever in the form of God. Now, just in case you didn't realize this, this is very different from you and me and every other person ever born in the world. You did not just exist. I did not exist. No one in the world, none of the 8 billion people today existed in the beginning in eternity past. But Jesus existed as God. Paul says right here that he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19, for in him, in Jesus All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God, and because he is God, write this down, point number one, Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of your worship. Oh, come on, somebody. Help me preach this sermon. Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of your worship. Don't waste your worship on little gods. Don't waste your worship on things that don't matter. Worship is your response to what you value most. Come on, value Jesus. He and he alone is worthy of your worship. Paul says right here that he is God. Follow the progression right here. And this divine Son of God, Jesus came to the earth, and what did he do? He clothed himself with humanity. It's what we call the incarnation, this divine Son of God. Carne, incarnate, carne, carne is out of me. He took on me. He took on flesh. They could see him. They could touch him. He's the firstborn over all creation, meaning that he has the highest rank of everything. He is before all things. He created all things, and he holds all things together and when I say he holds all things together that means somebody he holds all things together our oh I'm feeling it now 
hour by hour. The reason you don't fly apart into a billion fragments and then vanish is because Jesus is holding you together. And this is true of everything in the universe. Everything that man has ever made and everybody, every man, every woman, every child, every mountain, every ocean, every cloud, every supernova would all cease to exist if Jesus did not hold them all together. So, if you can think of someone or something that can do that, by all means, go worship it. But I got news for you. The only one that I know that can do that is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, come on, therefore, when we gather in a group like this, when we gather together on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings, man, you ought to sing at the top of your lungs. You ought to raise your hands in worship. You ought to give him a shout of praise because Jesus is the eternally existent Son of God by whom you have been created, to whom you are being held together. Right now, he is the radius of the glory of God, and there is no one like our Jesus. No one. So don't, oh my goodness, don't waste your life on things that don't matter. Because at the end of the day, oh my goodness, don't waste it. Don't waste your life on junk that doesn't matter. Don't waste your worship. Because remember, remember you resemble what you worship. So don't give it away. And, and, and then when it comes to Jesus, don't offer him cheap worship. Don't just go through the motions. Realize, realize who has called you into a relationship with him. It's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And understand what he has done for you. He is good. He's a good father and he loves you. So Jesus, number one. Number one, number one, number one, number one. I got two. I just got two tonight. I just got two. Two big points. First one right here. Number one, Jesus is worthy of your worship. And so with that, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Is your Jesus, come on, come on, gut check. Is your Jesus big enough and clear enough and supreme enough? That you treasure him more highly than any other reality. It's a question only you can answer right there. Is your Jesus, is he big enough and clear enough and supreme enough that you, you, junior, seventh grader, eighth grader, whatever, that you value him more than anything else this world has to offer. Because Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one. Oh, that's why we make a big deal about Jesus around here. Because he's the only one who can fully satisfy the craving in your heart. So number one, number one, number one, number one, we got to roll. 
truth number one, Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of your worship. Truth number two, it just gets better. It just gets better. It gets better. Jesus came to earth. Why did he come to earth? Because he loves you. Can you just let that sink in? The reason, the reason that Jesus came to earth is because he loves you. Colossians 1 verse 20 says this, And through him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to feel this right here, right here. Come on, student, lean in. Don't miss this. Right where you're sitting, he came to earth because he loves you. And he, he did for you what you could not do for yourself, and that is save your very soul. Look what Paul says in Philippians. If you're in Colossians, you want to go back to Philippians or flip over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Talking about our Jesus who is supreme and majestic and beautiful in every way. No one like our Jesus. Philippians 2, 6, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus, equality with God. He didn't, he, he didn't consider that a thing to be grasped. So what did he do? Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen to me, students. Suffice it to say, Jesus did not have to do this. That's the whole point of the passage. But what was he doing? He was looking not to his own interests. Follow this. Stay with me. But he was looking to the interest of others. Question, who are the others? The truth that booms from the pages of the Bible is that you are the other and that I am the other. You and me sinners who deserve holy judgment. He was looking to your interest. And he was doing something for you, students, that you could not do for yourself. Can I give you the gospel tonight? The gospel is this, that you and I, y'all need to listen up right here. Y'all need to lean in. Nobody needs to get up and move around. Y'all need to stay locked and loaded right here. The Holy Spirit is here, and this is go time. You and I, we have been fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully created by God for a relationship with God. But herein lies the rub. We all have sinned and we all have rebelled against God. And according to the Bible, you and I, we are born into a state of spiritual death because of the sin of the human race, because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And because of that, because of their sin, because of what they did, our spiritual hearts are bad and they are sick. We don't love the right things. Left to our own devices, we will, be, we will, we, we, we will mess it all up. 
And as a result of our sick hearts and sinful hearts and evil hearts, we've turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. And anytime you do that, it does not go well. We are stained through and through by sin. And as Paul calls us in Ephesians 2, we are by nature children of wrath. We sin, we make mistakes, we fall short. And if we die in this state of rebellion from God, you and I will spend eternity separated from God in judgment because of our sin. If you don't know Jesus... You don't have him as your father. Your destination is hell separated from God for eternity. Romans 6.23, for the wages, the wages of sin is death. And here's the dilemma, students, don't miss this. Here's the dilemma. We can't do anything to fix ourselves. Because the problem is our heart. You've got a sick heart. I've got a sick heart, a sinful heart, an evil heart. And when I try to fix myself, I have to draw on the corrupted resources of my heart. And because of that, I can't do anything about it. I'm stuck in my own sinfulness. I'm stuck in my own depravity. I'm stuck in my sinful ways. I need a new heart. I need a Savior. I can't be good enough. I can't do enough good things. Sin has literally killed us, and there's nothing we can do to change that. Therefore, we need a Savior. And the good news, the good news, can I give you some good news? And the good news of the Bible, the greatest news in the world, is that God has not left us alone in this fallen world of sin, suffering, and death. God. God has come to us. <laughs> God has come to us in the person of Jesus, born in the likeness of men to serve us, to die on a cross, to pay the price for your sin and my sin. And then he rose up from the grave, victorious, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering Satan. And if you put your trust in Jesus, listen to me. If you put your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you will be forgiven of all your sins and restored, restored, restored to a relationship with God for all eternity. Listen, that's that. That is what God offers you tonight. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no, no matter what your past relationships look like, our Heavenly Father has loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on a cross for you so that you could have forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. Chances are you've heard it or you know it. John 3, 16. What does it say? God so loved the world. Come on, you know that He gave His one and only Son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's the clearest explanation of the gospel. I had one person tell me that one way to personalize this, man, is put your name in there. You think about this. Put your name, put your name in that verse, for God so loved Stephen that he gave his one and only son that if Stephen believes in him, Stephen will not perish, but Stephen will have everlasting life. God looked down from heaven, God our Father, and he saw us children suffering in our sin, but he didn't leave us to perish. What did he do? He came for us, searching for us, pursuing us, but yet we did not receive him. We killed him, but what we didn't realize, that when we were putting him to death on the cross, he was literally paying our penalty. So that if you believe, if you look to him, if you trust in him, you would be saved. That is the Father's love for you. And how do you receive that? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, how do you receive it? You receive it by believing in him. You put your faith, you put your trust in him. And it's not just you believing a bunch of stuff about Jesus. Because the Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. So it's not just you believing, like you know some things about Jesus. It's not just you praying a simple prayer, getting out of hell. No, it's you saying, listen, listen, my only hope of salvation is placing my trust, my trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's my only hope. I am placing, I am transferring my trust from me that I can do it myself, that I'm good enough, that I'm a pretty decent guy. And I'm saying, no, 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 it's not me. No, it is all Jesus. And I'm clinging to his cross and saying, when Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. And Jesus, you are all my only hope for salvation. And I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust in him. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Do you, do you, where you are sitting, do you know him tonight? Are you, come on, I'm not asking, hear what I'm I'm not asking, are you a good person? Because listen, you're not. We're all evil. We all have sinful hearts. So I'm not asking, are you a good person? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking if you do some decent things from time to time. I'm asking, has there been a time in your life where you looked to Jesus and placed your trust in him and you said, God, save me? It's a great story here. I'm going to land the plane with this. There's an old, old English preacher Some of y'all are going to get a kick out of this by the name of Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) But it illustrates, it illustrates, come on, come on, baby, bring bring, bring the Holy Spirit for me, baby, come on. Even though the Holy Spirit's not a feeling, it's a person. Listen to this, listen to this. Charles Spurgeon tells this story of how he became a Christian in one of his sermons. And I just want, I want, I want to read this to you because this is going to set the stage for where we're going tonight. 
And so this is his story right here. He says, he says this, he says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. And he says, when I couldn't go any further because of the snow, I turned down a side street and came upon a little primitive Methodist chapel. Now, if you don't know primitive Methodists, think country church, independent fundamentalists, they get loud, all that good stuff. That's them. He said, in that chapel, he goes in the door, there may have been about a dozen, 15 people there. And he said, I've heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sing so loudly, they made people's heads hurt. But that didn't matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me how to be saved, then I'll deal with my headache. The minister that day did not come in that morning. He must have been snowed in. He said, finally, everybody's looking around, and this very thin-looking man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up to the pulpit to preach. He goes on to say, he says, now it's well that preachers should be instructed. They should go to school. But this man who was there to preach that day was really stupid. That's his words, not mine. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he didn't have much to say. And this was the text. It's going to be on the screen. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Look unto me. Simple text. But yet the boy, the preacher, he couldn't pronounce all the words correctly. But that didn't matter. The preacher got up there. He got behind his pulpit. He got his Bible. got his text. And he started preaching. And this is how he preached. This is the preacher right here. He said, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look, look, look. Just just look. You don't have to be smart to look. You just look. You don't have to have a lot of money to look. You just look. You may be the biggest fool in the world, yet you can look. 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 Anyone can look. A child can look. But then the text says, says this, he says, he says, he says, he says, look unto me. Look unto me. And, and, and then he goes, look unto me. I, he said something in a broad Essex accent. I don't know what an Essex accent is. Think Plant City. I don't know. He says, maybe many of you are looking, listen, you look into yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. The text says, look unto me, Jesus. You look to Jesus. He kept going. He kept going. The good man followed up his text this way. He said, look unto me. Come on, Holy Spirit. Look unto me says Jesus I'm sweating great drops of blood look unto me I'm hanging on the cross look unto me I'm dead and buried look unto me I rise again look unto me I ascend to heaven look unto me I am sitting at the Father's right hand oh poor sinner look unto me look unto me look to Jesus Oh! And, and he goes on to say, he said, hey, 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 when he had gone about that length, he'd managed about 10 minutes. 
And the poor preacher was at the end of his tether. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything else. Then he said, then he said, he said this. He said, he looked at me. Looked out there. Look out there. He looked at, he looked out there. Only 15 people out there. He knew this boy was a visitor. He looked out there and saw him. And he fixed his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart. And he said, he said, he looked at him. He said, hey, young man, you look miserable. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Spurgeon's like, he's like, I've not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit about my appearance. However, he struck home. He continued. And you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now in this moment, you will be saved. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Holy Spirit making the presence of God come alive. I feel it. Then, then. Lifting up his hands, the pastor shouting as only a primitive Methodist could do. He looked at Spurgeon in the crowd and he said, look to Jesus, young man. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and live. Look to Jesus. Spurgeon said in that moment, all at once, he said, he said, I saw, I saw it, I saw it, I saw the way of salvation. I didn't know what to do. I've been thinking that I had to do a bunch of different things. But when I heard the word look, oh, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked, I looked at Jesus. I looked to him. I trusted in him. I believed in him. And I looked until I couldn't almost look my eyes away. Then, this is going to be your story, some of y'all. There and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And in that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Jesus and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Oh, that somebody would have told me this before. Trust in Jesus and you shall be saved. And yet it was. No doubt. All in God good's time. And now I can say, ever since by faith, I saw the stream, thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. One simple question. Do you know him? Are you a child of God? Do you feel... Do you feel the pull of the Holy Spirit toward the Father? All you've got to do is look. All you have to do is trust. Transfer yourself onto Him and you will be saved. I'm going to give you that opportunity right here, right now. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask 
our leaders to get into place. Come on down. Nobody looking around. Nobody getting ready to go. This is your time, students. put your trust and your life now and forever in him and listen if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes I want to encourage you to hear God's spirit speaking to you right now that's his role to speak to you to convict you to draw you to the father And if you're not sure where you stand with him, you can say in response, in your heart, right now, in this very moment, you can pray in your heart of hearts, you can express your heart to him, and you can use my words right here. You just say to the Father, you say, God, I believe in you. I believe you've come to save me from my sin. To restore me to relationship with you. And so today, in this moment, I put my trust in Jesus, God in the flesh. And I put my trust in what he did for me on the cross, that he died to forgive me of all my sin. I believe he rose from the dead so that I could have new and eternal life with you. Save me right now. And if you prayed that right now, if you prayed that to God, expressing that in your heart to God, the Bible says that He does just that. He forgives you of your sin, He restores your relationship with Him. And if you prayed that tonight, we want to celebrate with you. So I'm going to ask you to do something really brave here in just a few moments. You've got a lot of people in this room who absolutely love you and have been praying for you. And so if you pray to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you to stand. And you're going to stand to your feet. And the band's going to start playing. And if you prayed that, I pray the Holy Spirit gives you courage to step out, to walk this out, to come forward, to find your group leader, to find somebody here who's been praying for you. You take them by the hand and you say, I prayed to receive Jesus today. Or maybe you came with a friend and you said, hey, friend, I just prayed to receive Jesus. Will you walk down with me? Will you go with me? Because God just saved me and now I got a new heart and I'm a new creation in him. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, and as soon as I say amen, the band's gonna start, and you don't wait, you don't wait, you don't pause. If you pray, if you pray, and you say, hey, God, save me, you come on down, and we will celebrate 
We will, we will clap. We will rejoice because you just made the best decision that you will ever make. You are now in the family of God. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would move. If students pray to receive Jesus, God, I pray right now that they would know that, God, that you would give them the courage to come down and allow us to celebrate and seal, seal that decision in them right here in this moment. To you be all the glory. It's in your name we pray and believe.